You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're in John chapter 8. And uh, as you're getting there, I want to share with you, I've got a number of announcements and just want to remind you, uh, last weekend we celebrated 10 years of ministry at this church. So over the last 10 years, we've seen hundreds of folks be baptized and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So let's just take a minute and celebrate that. That was a lot of fun. Um, this is a picture, I don't know if you can see it or not, but on my right in the photo is Pastor Jonathan, was one of the founders of uh, North Valley Community Church. He's now working on his PhD down in Dallas, Texas, at Dallas Seminary. I met him in Dallas, wonderful man. He is a brother in the Lord. The guy, the bearded fella on the left is my brother, David. Uh, he was part of the founding team as well that helped start the church some 10 plus years ago. Uh, moved in from Montana. Yes, he looks like he's from Montana. And this is what I describe as the Duck Dynasty family, and I am the runt of the Duck Dynasty family. Uh, so we have uh, had a blast, so um, just celebrating the 10 years. And what I wanted to do, though, is I wanted to take a minute just to share with you what does it look like for the next uh, 10 years. Um, it's a really important uh, uh, vision I want to encourage you uh, to start to think about. Um, many of you were not here in the first uh, early part of that 10 years. I see that first 10 years as a startup uh, phase, and now we're moving into what I'm going to call the build-up phase. How many of you are small business owners? Would you raise your hand at any level? Raise your hand. Um, 90% of small businesses fail within the first five years. The same is true for churches. Most churches don't make it. Um, ours did, by God's grace. Um, in the very beginning of the uh, establishment of the church, um, I sought out and I communicated a vision some 10 years ago that we were going to establish a regional Christ-centered church in the North Valley. Um, by God's grace, uh, he gave us the opportunity, and you all, our church, responded financially to secure a regional location where we have the 303, we have I-17, um, we have uh, an incredible location where the community is growing all around us. That was the vision that I felt that the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Ryan, you're going to go with a team of wonderful individuals and establish a regional church for my name and fame. And the good news is, is we are well on our way. Amen? Um, so the, 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 in that, number one, I just want to share with you um, what I'm going to call desires, not necessarily goals. I want to work the goals out more with our staff team and our elder team uh, more so. I've expressed these desires for North Valley to our elder team, uh, to our staff team, um, but I want to share with you, I don't have the points on the screen, but I got seven points I want to make about what this next 10 years, I believe, ought to look like. Um, the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your what? Heart. You guys know the Bible. Um, I love Jesus Christ. He has changed my life. I want to be in fellowship and uh, knowing him. And these are the desires I have in my heart. And I believe most, if not all of these, ought to be dedicated goals that the entire congregation ought to come around. Um, now is the time where we ought to spend more time in prayer and fasting and pushing forward as to this next 10 years. My prayer is, is that you all would join in this effort. So let me share with you. Number one would be establish and further strengthen uh, a Christ-centered church um, that starts and strengthens other churches. Um, we've had a, we, last weekend you saw we were uh, able over the last 10 years to support a number of new church plants and starts. And in fact, this month is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, just FYI, I'm not telling you that so you should appreciate me. Um, but I do want you to know because you give faithfully and financially and because we care about the churches that we've helped start, we're sending out gifts, care packages for pastors because they're so much oftentimes underappreciated. And these guys lay their lives on the line all the time. So many of the churches that we highlighted last week were sending care packages. One is Pastor John Craigle sending him a wonderful little care package. He doesn't know it yet. 
um, and we've started that process. Um, but I want to encourage you, if there's a pastor that you know that is struggling in need of encouragement, let us be a church to send an encouragement and say, we appreciate you. Um, because it's hard work. And uh, I want to encourage um, you that the next 10 years, we're going to help continue in our giving and our tithing. When you give, a portion of those proceeds, even in the general fund, goes back to help start and strengthen churches. Um, Additionally, when you give to the hope offering, that allows us to do even more. So, so number one, I'd say we're going to just strengthen the, 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 the vision of a regional church that starts and strengthens other churches. Number two, we're going to continue to be faithful Bible preaching and teaching church. Um, a lot of churches are putting away their Bible. I'm slowing down and trying to go deeper and longer into the Bible, if you haven't noticed. So maybe a goal would be over the next 10 years, we would finish the Gospel of John, you know. Um, we're in a year and we're in chapter 8, uh, so we need, to, we need to keep moving. There's a lot of great other scriptures that we need to get to, but it'll take a couple of years for us to get through the Gospel of John. What, what a joy, is it not, the Word of God? Isn't it great? Can we celebrate the Word of God for a moment? I love, I love the Word of God, and it means so much to me because it brings eternal truths that give me direction and hope and encouragement and exhortation. So we're going to continue to be faithful Bible preaching, continue for Christ-centered worship music. Isn't the team doing a fantastic job with that? Let's celebrate that for a moment. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, Josh and the team just launched one of the first North Valley music songs. You heard it earlier this morning. It connects to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Fantastic. Uh, number three, I would say we're just going to continue to reach the community. Uh, we care for the community. I know I've spoken up and spoken out about issues in the community before, but I do want you to know that we need to care for our community, reach our community, work hard to be a church that's about community. Some people say, well, why did you change the name North Valley Community Church to just North Valley Church? We did it for simplicity. North Valley is our first name. Community is our middle name. Church is our last name. You and I and the community around us ought to be on a first-name basis. Join us at North Valley. Uh, we care about our community, continue to reach our community. Number four, we're going to continue to engage and be active in global missions. Over the last 10 years, we've formed partnership and done a tremendous amount of work in Mexico. Um, we've done work in Nepal to help support an enormous movement of house churches uh, in Nepal. We've uh, sent missionaries to the Dominican Republic. Uh, we've opened up a partnership with the Navajo Nation. And we're so grateful for that. Um, my heart and prayers are leaning and, and moving towards Romania. When the Ukraine crisis hit, um, uh, Romania stood up and said, we'll take the refugees. Our partnerships in Poland said, we'll take the refugees. And we as a church sent $10,000 to help partner with the refugee crisis. You all need to celebrate that. That's pretty amazing for the size of our church to do that. Um, I'm asking you to pray about Romania. I'm asking you, we got a number of Romanians in the church. We've got the second largest Romanian church in the country right down the road. God has a plan for Romania and the American church needs to be a part of that. Um, my heart is uh, open and leaning towards Africa and what we could do in Africa. I've got friends that do mission work in Africa. Never been to Africa. Never been to Romania. But the mission must continue on. Number five, I would say we've got to con continually and consistently reach men. Uh, we have to reach men because men are a dying breed. Good men are, at least. Uh, we have to challenge them. Uh, men are called to be the heads of the household. Men are oftentimes the most passive and spiritually ignorant people. The women typically are more spiritually sophisticated, and uh, they're more churchgoers. And so to fight the culture and to reverse the trend, we say we will actively engage and program around making the man feel this is my church. And we got a great group of men. I mean, I want to celebrate just about everything. I'm so proud of the men and specifically the work they've been doing on the Navajo Nation. We've done a fantastic job, but we need to do far more. We need to continue to reach the children and the youth. The children and the youth need our assistance. 
It's a booming community of a lot of children and a lot of youth. Um, we must give financially. We must serve in those ministries. We must work to uh, build up even more staff and volunteers in those areas. Number six, I would say, is we target a sporty, outdoorsy crowd. Why, why that? Um, because when there's clarity around culture and who you reach, then there can become momentum and clarity on how we do it, what we do. So if you notice, we don't do trunk or treat, we do truck or treat. Why is that? We're going for the men. I saw a guy that didn't come to church very often right after first service. I slapped him on the back. I said, do you got a good truck? He said, yeah, I think so. I said, bring that sucker to truck or treat. He said, well, maybe I will. So we're having truck talk. I'm telling him my Tundra is better than his Ram. And he's saying, well, we'll see. You know, I think I got more horsepower than you. Um, we want to we wanna program and reach the outdoorsy, sporty crowd. Uh, yesterday, we had 100-plus individuals. Probably most of them were unchurched. We had a Quill Forever banquet in our church. I snapped photos. Guys were walking around with guns all through here. Last, I was like, wow, this is so cool. It was a banquet. They were raising money for conservation. It was wonderful. Sporty, outdoorsy culture. We're going to continue to lean into that. Number seven, we're going to continue to minister to orphans and widows. We started there. My wife and I took the plunge and did it ourselves. We adopted a beautiful little girl, wonderful experience, challenged the church, and have found mediocre response within our congregation. I get it. Adoption's really hard. Adoption's the hardest thing you could do for orphans and widows. Fostering is the second hardest thing you could do. The third hardest thing you could do, but still a wonderful thing, is be a mentor father for fatherless boys. And that's what we do at this church. We're the first church in Arizona that offers a, a father mentorship program for fatherless boys. So we send the message out to the single moms, and you can help us. You, you help us. Send the message out to the single moms. Our church, if you've got a, a boy uh, uh, if there's a divorce in the family and the dad is disengaged, our church is the church. You don't have to be a member of this church. doesn't matter. Just come to our church and we'll provide godly, good father mentor men. We put our stamp of approval on and they become a father mentor. We're going to continue to lean in to the orphan crisis. And uh, so what does this look like over the next few years? Number one, it looks like uh, we need all of you engaged. We need an increase in the percentage of the congregation that are volunteering and serving. The more that you can do that, guess what? You lower our payroll. When there's more people engaged in serving, you lower the payroll. You move the mission. Serve. Attend one. Serve one. Do that for us. Let's do it together. Number two, we'll be adding staff in the coming years. Number three, we'll be adding services. Number four, we're going to expand facilities. Number five, we're going to buy the remaining two acres of the property that's out front. When you drive up and you see that fence, what's that? That's a miracle story. I'll, say, I'll share it with you another day. But we own one of those acres, there's three, and we've got a land banking team that held it and is holding it so that North Valley can continue to expand. If God is prompting your heart to be a part of the next 10 years, the build-up phase, let's all take steps forward. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray these desires become collective goals, not just for me, but for the whole church. You've always been good, Lord, and this is your land. This is your church. This, these are your people. I pray that we would operate in a, a spirit and a heart of unity and vision for the mighty name of Jesus and the good of all people, including ourselves. Everybody said, amen. What a joy. Um, here's where we're at. John chapter 8, we're going to look at this. The big discussion is, is whose family are you in? So let's just jump into the text. I'll explain it as we go, and I'll show you some illustrations as we kind of move along. Verse 37, uh, Jesus has a, a, an ongoing conversation with religious Jewish people um, that basically are saying that they're saved and they're going to heaven because they're related to Abraham. 
Uh, Jesus at this point in time has been preaching and teaching, doing, performing miracles for about two and a half years. And this is the last six months and things are heating up. He's performed many works and people love it. Go make a, turn water into wine, Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Uh, turn a couple of fish and some loaves and feed the multitude. That's pretty awesome. But when he starts opening his mouth, and sharing about good news and the exclusivity of salvation. They're wanting to pick up stones. They want to kill this guy. They call him a liar or a lunatic. Call him that he's a, the, part of a demonic movement, that he's crazy. So this is picking up in verse 37. Jesus is affirming. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Why do they want to kill Jesus? Because they think he's a liar. They think he's a lunatic. He says, uh, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Meaning they really don't believe in Jesus. They don't think he's the Messiah. Verse 38, I speak of what I've seen from my father, Jesus says, and, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they're like, what are you talking about? Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. That's like the trump card. That'd be like you saying, of course I'm a believer. Billy Graham is my dad. Uh, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to, to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. I want to share with you a little bit about my family history. Um, how many of you got into uh, in that Ancestry.com or any of the uh, Ancestry work? Raise your hand. How many of you are proud that you did some ancestry work and found some really cool people in your family? How many of you wish you never looked? You're like, oh, I'm related to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I did some ancestry work and I, I liked it. It makes me feel good to know that kind of maybe the, some of the things in life that they dealt with, I deal with. I'm going to share with you a couple of my family members, James W. Parker and Olive Stockwell, where uh, they lived as ranchers in Montana in the late 1800s. This is my great-great-grandfather um, and my grandmother. And Alice is the little girl in the photo. She's my grandma who passed away in 2006. Um, there's a sister in the photo, Lillian. But let me tell you about James. James was a rowdy schoolboy in Montana. And uh, he was, uh, one day he decided he had a crush on the teacher and he thought he would show off and be cool. So he pulled out of his pocket a shotgun shell and walked over to the wood-burning stove and closed it and sat it down <laughs> and then went and all of a sudden, boom! Yeah, thankfully nobody was hurt, but that's what he did. Uh, somehow she thought that was amusing enough and after many D-hauls or detention, um, they fell in love and got married. Um, I relate to James because he was a rowdy guy. He also established a very large ranch, which is now known as Yellowstone. Um, he, is, he had uh, hundreds, uh, if not thousands of acres in Gardner, Montana, and eventually it turned into uh, part of Yellowstone National Park. We went to the original homestead in the, in the property and saw it. I relate to James. Uh, then about, uh, how about, here's another photo of great, great, grandfather, John Rice, the big bearded fella, and his wife, Elizabeth. He was born um, in Indiana in 1844, moved to Van Wert, Ohio, started farming, and his, that farm is still in operation today and run by my extended family. The bearded fella kind of looks like my brother David. So um, let me ask you a question. What about your family? Some of you look at your family and think, man, because I had strong believers and strong, you know, uh, family, then I move in this direction and that makes me stronger. And there's some truth to that. And then some of you have bad family, bad background. And you wonder, like, man, how does that affect the spiritual dynamic? Um, let me share with you another uh, story. Aaron Burr, many of you perhaps remember him from the early uh, American formation um, in the 1750s, Burr uh, becomes uh, third vice president 
he had a zeal for revolution. Uh, he's the one that goes down in history as the one who shot Alexander Hamilton. In 1804, he fled and would later be charged with treason uh, for having independent thoughts and trying to form a country uh, against uh, what we would know as the United States of America. But what's interesting about Burr is he goes down in history as a, a man or a, a rebel rouser, a person of treason. But do you know who his grandfather was? His grandfather was the great Jonathan Edwards, the American revivalist, a strong Christian man, America's perhaps America's most important and original philosophical teacher, theologian, who led the Great Awakening in 1533 through 35, known as the Frontier Revival. What's my point? My point is it doesn't matter who your family is. That doesn't put you in a better standing with God. This is what Jesus is pushing back on the Jews, just saying it doesn't matter if Abraham, if you're related to Abraham. There was a rabbi teaching that was going on. It was not a biblical teaching that said if you're a Jew and you, and you are not a good believer, you're unrighteous and ungodly, even if you're going to be sentenced to hell, Abraham's at the gates of hell and will say, you don't belong here because you're a Jew, you're a descendant of mine, you get to go to heaven. My point is, is Jesus is pushing back that it doesn't matter who your family lineage, what your heritage is, what matters more than anything is your spiritual family. So Jesus pushes this back. He says, and let's pick up in verse 39 again. It says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? He believed. He had faith. Uh, he knew that there was a Messiah coming. Uh, when he offers up Isaac, it's a foreshadowing of the work of God the Father offering up his son. Verse 40 says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. Verse 41, you're doing the works of your, your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. What in the world are they talking about? The two things. Number one is, is they're trying to clarify that they're monotheists. They believe in one God. Look what it says. We have one father, even God. In other words, what they're saying is, is what was going on in that time was uh, Roman pagan practices was temple prostitution, and those that were associated with paganism also believed in polytheism, which is the idea of multiple gods. And so they're saying, we're not associated with the multiple gods. We have one God. And that is what the Jews believe even today in the sense they believe in one God. There is one God. And Jesus is not a part of that godhood at all. So, additionally, I think they're poking and jabbing at perhaps Jesus Christ because uh, there was rumor that Jesus was born um, not of the, uh, uh, simply the Virgin Mary, but Mary had some kind of adulterous relationship and God was not his father. And therefore, uh, Mary uh, fornicated, committed adultery during the betrothal period. And so, Jesus was born as an illegitimate child. This is hostility, this is jabbing and jeering. They want Jesus dead. Uh, they are against Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. This is true for believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you love Jesus. If you're a believer in God, you love Jesus. He says, uh, if you were a true believer, you would love me. For I came from God, I, I, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? They don't want to hear his words anymore. This is true for many people in today's time too. They want the, they, they want the works of Jesus, but they do not want the words of Jesus. Does that make sense? Uh, let's do charity. Let's be... Let's be philanthropic, but do not talk about Jesus Christ being the exclusive way for salvation. Yesterday, when I stood up for the Quill Forever banquet, I thought, am I going to pray in Jesus' name? And I said, 
oh yeah, I'm praying in Jesus' name. So at the end of it, I said, I prayed. They said, would you pray for our banquet? And I pray a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, you're the maker of heaven and earth and all that is in it. We thank you for making everything. We pray for the families, for the hunters, for the dogs to go out and have a great time. Thank you for the great state of Arizona. Thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you and we ask for your protection and blessing in the mighty name, in the good name of Jesus. Amen. And they're like, oh, he had to slip Jesus in there. It's all through Jesus. So we continue on and we see what's going on. Uh, They don't like the words of Jesus. He's about to be crucified. He's got six months to live. Verse 44, Jesus intensifies it and he says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. That's pretty harsh. There's no more Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are, uh, you know, weary, I'll give you rest. No, he's saying, you're the devil's kid. Imagine that in your evangelism approach. Bro, I know the problem with you. You're just the devil's kid. It's not going to work very well. What's the truth? Here's the truth. There's two families in the world. In all civilizations, in all times, in all places, there's only two families. God the fathers and the father of the lies, the devil. He says, You're the f- your father is the devil And then he says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of, help me out, lies. When you hear people say, I'm not pretty, I'm not good enough, I'm I'm too far gone, God could never forgive me. These are, the fa- these are the lies of the father, the, the lies of the devil. The devil is a deceiver, and he has been from the beginning. Jesus distinguishes himself. He says, but because I tell you the truth, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Again, they hate the words of Jesus. They'll take the works of Jesus, but they don't want his truth. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? He's the only one that says that. Gandhi doesn't say that. Muhammad doesn't say that. Confucius doesn't say that. Nobody says that. What he's saying is, I'm impeccable. There's no sin in me. I'm sinless. Jesus Christ is 100% man, yet 100% God. It's called the hypostatic union. If I tell you, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Two fathers. Number one, God the Father. Number two, the father of lies. Who's your daddy? Whose family are you in? That's a serious... That question is the most important question in life. Whose family are you in? It doesn't matter that my dad and my my grandpa, my great-grandpa, they're all ranchers and and, uh, farmers. And that's, I mean, that's great and it does make me feel good. But the most important family is not my biological family. The most important family is my spiritual family. That's the family that changes the world. That's the family that God wants you to care about the most. I'm not anti-family. I am pro-family. I am pro-marriage. <laughs> I am pro-children. But at the end of the day, the greatest focus you ought to have on your spiritual uh, life is understanding the spiritual family. God the Father, God the Father, or the Father of lies. So here's the question. And kind of looking at this is, what, how do I know if I'm in God's family? What are three marks that show genuine believers? Or maybe a better question, because you're already convinced God is my father, maybe a better question would be is, how do I know if my friends or family are in God's family? Uh, what are marks that I can tell that they're in? Because not everybody's in. That's universalism. There's universalist churches around our valley. And they all, listen to this, they all claim we're all children of God. Every person is a child of God. And some of you are like, ah, you mean 
Unbelievers are not children of God? No, they are not children of God. What are they then? They are made in his image. They are. They're made in his image. It doesn't matter if they're Mormon, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. They're still made in his image. Every person on the planet deserves dignity, worth, value, respect. So how do you become, what are the genuine marks of I'm God's kid? And by the way, what's really cool about the Bible is the Bible tells us that God the Father has no grandkids. He just has kids. So every one of you, you and I are children, uh, sons and daughters of God. That's pretty powerful. That brings incredible significance and worth into our lives to understand that. Um, I'm just thinking, I, just, I wasn't planning on this, but I, I love the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. God is a good father. You have a great father. And perhaps uh, the idea of the fatherhood of God is often neglected in the church. But God is your father. And um, we're part of a family. Number one, what's a mark of a genuine believer? Number one, you, your love for Jesus and for one another is absolutely evident. You cannot be a believer. You cannot be a child of God if you do not love Jesus. If you turn back in your Bible, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, the if, if God were your father, you would love me. That's what he says. Meaning, like, God is not your dad. God is not your father because you hate me. If somebody says to you, I hate Jesus Christ, but I, but, I, but I still believe I'm going to heaven, I'm like, that doesn't exist in the New Testament. This is a challenging message because I think we all want to believe that everybody's just God's kids and leave it alone. But this is not what the Bible teaches. This is not what Jesus says. If you are God's kid, then your love for Jesus is absolutely evident. And one another, John 13, 35, I don't have it on the screen, but it, Jesus said, you know, by the way you love one another, that's the way people will know that you're my disciples or my kids. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all else, you keep loving people. How many people, how many of you have some difficult people to love in your life? Raise your hand. Don't nudge anybody on the side, though. I do, too. Somebody said to me, like, it's hard to love people. I'm like, I get it. I do, too. You know, my prayer is oftentimes, God, give me a soft heart for people and give me really thick skin because I should love people, right? And some of the posers I see as pastors sometimes, they're like, I love the church. I love leading. I just hate people. I'm like, then leave ministry, man. Because it's all about people. My prayer is for the next 10 years that our church would be a, a church that people say, man, they have a love for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you, do you like spend time with him, talking to him, praying to him? Like he loves you far more than you love him. He loves this church far more than I love the church. We don't have to die for the church because Jesus died for the church. And when it talks about the church, it doesn't mean just the gigantic congregation. It also means the individual, the Christian. You are the church. Your love for Jesus and for one another is evident. First John, Jesus' nearest and dearest disciple, the one who recorded the gospel of John, says it like this, that love is from God. Love is from God. Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Here are, is a classic passage that the great commandments, this is what we built the church off of. We still do, and I'll teach it um, later this afternoon. Great commandments and great commission. That's how it, you can be a great Christian is just fulfill the great commandments and the great commission. That's it. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. None of us do that fully. I don't. I don't. Um, but this is the command, love God. 
This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do we do a good job at in American culture? We love ourselves. Oh my goodness, Snapchat's blowing up. Like how many pictures of your face do you, you want to get in there? It's selfism. And I am not knocking on social media. We use social media, try to for the glory of God, but we are infatuated with ourselves. It's not hard to love yourself. I don't have to teach you that. You do that. I do that. If you don't love yourself, then something is wrong. You need to love yourself. You don't need to idolize yourself. You love God. You know what connects the first and the second commandment is love. That's what. Love connects the first, love God, love your neighbor, that's the connection. So as an exercise in a practice just for a moment, uh, to love one another, turn to one of your neighbors and say, I love you in the name of Jesus. Go ahead. Some of you do not want to say that. Man, the loving people are the people that have life. Like, you know, they're just... Uh, as good. That's the mark of a genuine believer. Why the Jews uh, didn't love Jesus is they, they hardened their heart and they hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Mark of a genuine believer, number two, you understand the essentials of salvation. Um, you have to come to a knowledge. You have to understand a couple of basic things. Um, before I show you a passage, I just want to acknowledge. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need saving. Uh, why have a savior if you don't need saving? Like, this does not make sense to me. Like, unless you can say, I'm in desperate need of Jesus Christ, there's no salvation. So... What does a Savior do? He saves. That's what He does. Saves us from what? The penalty of sin. The power of sin. That's what He saves us from. And He saves us not from something, but He also saves us to something and for something. So you've been saved. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not only saved from hell, not only saved from the power and the penalty of sin upon your life, you've been saved to heaven. You've been saved to a new life, saved for good works, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Amen? So you have been saved from, and you are saved for. So understand the essentials of salvation. Romans 3, 23 through 25, the Bible says, all have sinned. So turn to your neighbor and say, all have sinned. Go ahead. And some of you are like, a lot more than others. Uh, I sin, you sin, we all sin. Sin separates us, breaks our fellowship with God. It breaks our fellowship with each other. When you sin and I sin, it hurts people. It hurts ourselves. It can grieve the Holy Spirit. You feel like the presence of God is just kind of like not as close as it used to be. We all fall short. Every single one of us. This is an easy thing to talk about with a non-believer and go, hey, like, uh, you see all the mess in the world. You see all the trouble in the world. You know what the Bible calls that? That's sin. Sin messes up everything. What's the good news? He's going to fix that. He's going to fix that. One day, it'll all be fixed. But for now... We get his power, we get the presence, and we're saved from the penalty of sin. Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God, in verse 24, and are justified by his grace. We're made right like a judge bringing down the gavel and saying, you're not going uh, to suffer in imprisonment. You get freedom, buddy. We've been justified not by our works, but what does it say? By his what? Grace. It's getting something you do not deserve. Your whole life, your salvation is by God's grace. It's nothing that you do. It's nothing that you have to do. It's not something that God didn't save you because he's like, he's going to do good for me. He's going to do good for me. Or God doesn't look down from heaven and go, I'm going to save that person because she's been good. Therefore, I will save her and put her on my team. It's not how it works. 
He looks down and says, you've been bad, and I'm going to save you anyway. It's by his grace. It's a gift. It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul had to be thinking about Abraham because Abraham in faith obeyed the Lord and put his son forward as a sacrifice. And God the Father put Jesus Christ forward as a sacrifice. A sacrifice that would serve for all sacrifices so you and I don't have to do that. We can place our faith in Jesus Christ because he's done it all. Every sin, every ounce of shame, everything that you've got you can bring to Jesus Christ. You're never too far gone. That is such the good news. Number three, I would say another mark for, of genuine believers is that your beliefs transform your behaviors. Whatever you believe will determine your behavior. This is why at our household and even in our church, I lead with a mentality of I'm not after behavior, I'm after belief. What you believe determines what you do. If you believe God's power is available for you, then you live like you got power. If you live in such a way that you are weak and subject to the devil every moment of your life and falling into temptation, you will. If you believe you're God's kid, you're going to act like God's kid. Um, your beliefs will transform your behaviors. And then ultimately, the transformer is not your belief. It is God working through that belief. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we get the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the, the, whole, the Holy Spirit brings about some new behavior. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, the first one on the list, according to Galatians 5.22, is love. When you start to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You don't hate people anymore like you did. You love them. I remember I had such an, a challenging relationship with my dad and my brothers, the teachers, the pastors, the Christians around me, come to faith in Jesus Christ and things started to change. The Bible says that he can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. The Bible says that when God's spirit is at work, he brings power and freedom upon your life. Some of you have challenges in relationships and your heart, your heart is hardened. Believe, believe. I think our problems with our behavior are not the behavior, it's the belief behind the behavior. You fall into alcoholism, you fall into an addiction, you fall into a dysfunctional habit, a wrong way of thinking. You fall into all sorts of pride, all sorts of envy, all sorts of jealousy, all sorts of anger. What's the bigger problem? You don't believe that God can help you. You don't believe that there's a better way. You don't believe that his power cannot manifest itself and give you joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our problem as believers is that we don't believe enough. Your beliefs transform your behaviors. What was the behavior of the Jews? What did they want? They wanted to, they were behaving in such a way and saying, we're going to kill you. We're going to murder you. Anger, rage. That was the behavior. What was their belief? You're a lunatic, Jesus. You're a liar. Actually, they say earlier in the chapters, they say, you're operating by the power of demons, Jesus. That was their belief. My question for you is, what do you believe? If genuine believers for yourself and for others is the beliefs. Beliefs transform the behaviors. Num uh, here's a great passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You get newness. You get a new family. Uh, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you move, move from the father of lies as your father. You move from the family of evil and Satan to the father of truth, God the Father. Therefore, 
if anyone is in Christ, they believe in Jesus, they love Jesus, he is a new creation. This is exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus, the one Jew that's deeply recorded in Scripture, um, who makes a transition. He's uh, the equivalent of two to three PhDs, very educated, did not receive Jesus Christ as Messiah initially. Jesus has a conversation with them and tells them, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Doesn't matter who Father Abraham is to get into heaven. That doesn't matter. What matters is what do you believe about me? You got to be born again. As, as uh, the scripture tells us, if anyone's a new Christ or new creation, how many of you need a new start? How many of us need a, a new life? That is what the Christian life offers is a new family, a new hope, a new creation. And I believe this new creation goes far deeper than maybe we understand. That uh, I think of it as, and I look back on my own conversion experience, I do believe that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, things happen even on a perhaps a physical or physiological level where he begins to open up your mind to love God more. Perhaps you become more excited to study the Word of God. Your mind and your knowledge can expand. If Jesus makes the command, then he gives you the means to fulfill the command. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, he's going to supply you with the opportunity to do that. When I first came to know uh, Jesus Christ, I went from hating education to loving education. Why is that? I believe God gave me not a, just a brand new mind, like a, you know, but he opened up my mind and my ca capacity for learning. I believe that's what he can do in your life for your heart, for your mind, for your well-being, your emotional capacity to process hardship. He can do that. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what should I do? What should you do? Number one, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you want to become his kid, be in his family, you receive and you believe in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, uh, Jesus said, or John says, uh, yet to all who believed him, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. You want to be a child of God? You believe in Jesus Christ, you receive him as your Lord. Amen? You need to share with your friends. You want to be a part of God's family, the best family in the world? You believe in Jesus Christ and you receive him as Lord. That is the good news. Secondly, I would say for all of us is that you share and show the love of Jesus Christ. You share and show the love of Jesus Christ. We show the love of Christ um, when we are serving as greeters and kids and, and the youth, and we show the love of Christ when we serve on the tech team and the worship team. And like I said, Pastor Joshua and the team put together that awesome new song out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. And they're showing the love of Jesus Christ. And the unique thing about a worship leader, Josh, I don't know if you've thought about this, is that you are showing the love of Jesus Christ, but you also get to share the love of Jesus Christ because you're proclaiming truth. And when you're singing, you're sharing the love of Jesus Christ out loud for everybody to hear. This is why when the Apostle Paul in the church in Corinth says, basically, worship is a witness. I remember oftentimes even watching some, when I was an unbeliever, watching people walk down a sidewalk and sing about Jesus Christ. I thought they must really love him. Either that or a little kooky. Share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, friends. It's a lot easier to show the love of Jesus Christ than it is to share the love of Jesus Christ. It's easy to tell your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors you went down to Mexico and built a house than it is to say, can I tell you about Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life and the importance he is for your salvation? Now the thing has changed. What got Jesus in trouble? It was not his works. It was not performing the miracles. That didn't get him in trouble. That gained him popularity. They said to him when he started performing the miracles, let's make you king. Let's make you king. You can overthrow Rome. You're powerful. You perform miracles. But then he starts preaching and teaching. Kill him. Shut him down. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's from the devil. 
people today, they want your good works. They do not want your good news. Share the good news. I want to encourage you to go beyond Sunday to open up your mouth and talk about Jesus. I want you to think about Monday through Saturday. That's probably the best time you can share about Jesus. Ah. Invite your neighbors over for a game, football game. I don't know what it is. Invite them out. Share your faith with people at work. Go on a mission trip and tell them about why you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I pray for the church, Lord Jesus, in the next 10 years that it would just flourish. I pray for each and every one of these men and women and young people that, number one, they'd be marked with a great love for Jesus Christ. I pray that they'd have a love for one another, too. Preserve, protect your church. Give us a great spirit of unity, vision, and hard work. We love you and give you thanks for all you've done. You're a great God, worthy of all of our worship. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, uh, I want to say one way that we can show our worship is through giving. I had an individual come up to me last week and said, hey, I want to give this check. It was a really big check. And he said, I want to start tithing my business because I want God's blessing on my business. And he gave it to me, and then I tried to grab it, and he pulled it back. I don't know. Wait, 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 wait a second. I'm just joking. He didn't do that. Um, but it's... Uh, it's really cool to see. I want to encourage you in, in understanding worship. It's far beyond just singing songs. Worship is your whole life. Jesus wants your whole life. And the good news is, is that the Christian life is the best life. And so as you surrender your life to him and ask for his blessing and provision on your life, uh, you're going to experience more joy. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy. I pray that for you. Um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't started giving at the church, start. I want to challenge you to the tithe. It gives 10% of your income. Some of you say, I don't, well, I don't like that. Well, I understand. I didn't like it either until my wife challenged me to read the Bible more. And I said, okay, I actually think this should be good. So I started in my early 20s and we've been doing it ever since. And it's a great joy because I sense God's blessing and favor on all that we do. And uh, I want God's blessing on my marriage. I want God's blessing on my finances. I want his blessing for my kids. And I want to be faithful there. So I want to challenge you in that, uh, to do that if you haven't yet started. If this isn't your church home, don't give. Just come and just receive. If this is your church home, partnership. Think partnership. I'm partnered in the family. I got a role in the family. This isn't Pastor Ryan's church. It's your church. It's our church, and we're all invested in. Amen? All right, let's stand, and we're going to worship. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks, and have a great day.